persistent pain for more than three months and the doctors don't have any solutions for you? Are they saying, it's all in your head? Or, you have to learn to live with it? And that message just doesn't feel right to you? Well, then you're in the right place. My name is Anna Frixelius and I'm an expert in health mastery. As a teenager, I got scleroderma and rheumatoid arthritis. Both of these are autoimmune conditions, chronic, incurable, with a pretty grim prognosis. But that was just the beginning. Afterwards, I survived two serious traffic accidents that was in my early 20s. Surviving was great, but I got a complex spinal fracture, part of my spine was crushed, and I got a whiplash neck injury. So at that point, I had a triple whammy of debilitating conditions in a really short period of time. Fun fact, of those three things, the autoimmunity, the crushed spine and the whiplash injury, the whiplash injury was what disabled me the most. Still, none of the doctors believed it was real. With these four diagnoses, at age 25, I was crippled by chronic pain and I was completely given up by the doctors. They thought I was a hopeless case. They put me on disability and just gave me lots of painkillers, told me to stay at home and, you know, give up all my dreams. But instead of listening to them, I found out how to rebuild my health, working from the inside out. Nobody believed it was possible. But a few years later, I got out of the wheelchair and I completed a pilgrimage walking to Santiago de Compostela. That's a 500 mile hike across the mountains and plains of northern Spain. Today, I have a healthy and happy, active life. I work full time, helping other people recover from chronic pain, while also advocating for better treatment and patient rights. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing insights and useful strategies for anyone dealing with persistent pain and chronic health issues. I'm going to talk about the failing medical paradigm and what we need to do to change it. But most of all, I want to share solutions. What can you do to have a healthy, happy and active life, no matter what diagnoses you have and what your current health state is? So let's dig in. Hello, my fellow human beings. Today, I want to discuss something really wild. I mean, way out of the box. Our topic today is chronic illness. And I've chosen the rather presumptuous working title, Chronic Illness Explained, which I've loosely translated to the even more presumptuous matrix analogy, Take the Red Pill. So if you want to take the blue pill and sleep on, you just tune out now, because if you keep listening, you will be choosing the red pill. And we all know what that means, right? Yeah, take the red pill, but only if you want to be part of the rebellion. See, I have a groundbreaking theory. Listen to this. Human beings have a soul. <gasps> yeah, I said it, I said it. And even more wild, the soul's condition is part of our physical, biological health. Why? Because, in a quantum health perspective, chronic illness actually makes sense. Let me explain. See, everything is energy, right? Equals mc squared, etc. Well, below matter, we now know that everything is particles and waves, and most of the technology we surround ourselves with builds on this paradigm. And we also know that scientific revolutions, they happen in a certain way, and as long as you're in the current paradigm, everything within the paradigm is true until it suddenly isn't. And when the paradigm can't explain the data anymore, 
what the scientists often try to do is to change the data or to ignore big parts of the data. But in the end, you can't ignore because the amount of data that doesn't fit the paradigm is too big. So it basically breaks the paradigm. And that's where we're at right now in the current biomedical paradigm. See, isn't it completely crazy how we still, to a great degree, rely on Newtonian theory for understanding our bodies? Like mechanistic Newtonian physics? I mean, that theory can explain the structure of much of the visible universe with high accuracy, but it's still 350 years old. I mean, it's so last millennium. So let's just introduce this guy, Sir Isaac Newton, Wikipedia. He was born in 1642. An English mathematician, physicist, astronomer, alchemist, theologian, oh my god, author. Described in his time as a natural philosopher. That's quite a title he's got there. He was a key figure in the philosophical revolution known as the Enlightenment. His book, The Mathematical Principles of Natural Philosophy, was first published in 1687 and it established classical mechanics. Classical mechanics, right? It explains how everything moves, like gravity, all of that shit. I think that was what Newton was mostly known for. And in physics, what the mechanistic paradigm represents is this view of matter being composed of particles. So basically matter being physical and linear, while this is often chosen in preference to, for example, the wave theory of light, which underlies quantum theory. Now, of course, Newton wasn't the only one who held this standpoint, but it is strange that we still use his framework for understanding the physical reality when it comes to our bodies, when we actually don't use it for the technology that is used by the current health tech, like laser surgery and and all of the MRI scans and all of this builds on the new physics, right? And it builds on the wave theory of light, which we should also dig into a little bit. So French philosopher, mathematician René Descartes described light as a pressure wave that's transmitted at infinite speed through a pervasive elastic medium that he called a plenum. So this is the theory underlying lasers, MRIs, and all of that technology. And he actually built his theory on thinkers all the way back to Aristotle, who believed that light was a disturbance that traveled through, Descartes called it the plenum, like a wave that travels through water. So light is a wave that travels through some kind of medium, which he tried to describe. Then in the same, I would say, in the same philosophical tradition or scientific tradition, earlier philosophy and sciences were much more interrelated than they are now. It wasn't like humanistic sciences and nature sciences, these scientists did both. So we have, I think, a Dutch scientist, Christian Huygens, who was born in 1629, and he worked out a mathematical wave theory of light that was published in the Treatise of Light in 1690, where he proposed that light was emitted in all directions, so not just in one direction, as a series of waves in a medium called the luminiferous ether. Oh, these words are difficult. And he proposed that waves are not affected by gravity, or it builds on the understanding that waves are not affected by gravity. And it was assumed that they slow down upon entering a denser medium. So this is the stuff that inspired or was the framework for Einstein when he, on the basis of experimental evidence, was able to show for the first time in 1905 that light 
which until then had been considered a form of electromagnetic waves, it must also be thought of as particle-like. So he actually merged these two theories in a way, like light is both a particle and a wave. It's completely mind-blowing, right? And we still can't fully grasp it. Because in quantum theory that tells us light and matter consists of tiny particles that have wave-like properties, so they're both waves and particles at the same time. Light is composed of photons, particles, and matter is composed of electrons, protons, and neutrons. And it's only when the mass of a particle gets small enough that its wave-like properties show up. So basically you can only see or utilize this understanding that mass has wave-like properties when you are able to see it way below microscopic level. I don't even know what that's called. Like this extremely microscopic level of matter. That's where the wave-like properties show up. So all of this science that I've just very briefly gone through, 350 years of scientific pillars, I would say, this is implemented in the advances we have for example, in health tech, I mean, it's also underlying all computers and I think radio transistors also, like wireless networks, all this stuff that's surrounding us today. And while we use it to change our health, basically, or our bodies, like in lasers, none of it is implemented to actually understand the human body. Understanding the human body, we're still stuck in Newtonian physics. Thinking of the body as a machine that you can change if a part is broken, like you have to find the part that's broken, and you have to carve up the body, find the part that's broken, and replace it. This is called a pathogenic biomedical paradigm. Basically the prevailing still medical paradigm today. And reading a little bit about this, pathogenic, it's called that because it's based on a search for and discovery of the origin of a disease. So pathogenic searching for the origin of disease. In this paradigm, health is viewed as the absence of disease, while disease is defined as a deviation from the normal biological functioning of the body, whatever that is. I'm not sure there actually is a normal biological functioning of the body, but that is the underlying viewpoint of the pathogenic biomedical paradigm. And the paradigm is called biomedical also because it requires highly qualified scientific personnel with the doctor playing the main role, supported by a team of other professionals like laboratory technicians, pharmacologists, biochemists, nutritionists, nurses, etc. In this paradigm, the human body is viewed as a complex biological machine, right? With parts that you can take out and change. And it requires the service of biological engineers who understand its complex chemical reactions as well as the possible modifications in its cells and organs. While the biomedical model represented a significant advance in understanding disease, I'm reading now a summary of the critique against this paradigm, it has come under significant criticism from both within medicine and from a range of social and behavioral disciplines. The major criticism is that the biomedical model underestimates the complexity of health and illness particularly by neglecting social and psychological factors. So this is where the biomedical paradigm can't explain everything, right? And on the basis of that, the biopsychosocial paradigm was developed, also in the last century, where health is seen as a complex... You have this Venn diagram, like with three intersecting circles, with the biological aspects of health, physical health, genetic vulnerabilities, drug effects, and the psychological, which are everything with coping skills, mental health, social skills, self-esteem, mental health, yeah. 
and the social is your community, your peers, family relationships, etc. I would put community there too. It's very strange that they don't include community, but I think actually the scientists who use this model do. This is just a bad illustration. Well, the BPS model acknowledges that, you know, when you're under high stress or you have poor mental health, that can contribute to bodily illness. So basically, it's definitely a step forward in understanding that the human being is more than a body with a brain and it's not a machine. Like the human body is not a machine and you can't just carve it up and take out parts and fix whatever's wrong. That's too simple. Of course, if you have a clogged artery, like I explained in the previous episode, unclogging the artery can prolong life. But what? why was the artery clogged in the first place? Diet. Yeah, what you put in your body. Why did the person have the genetic vulnerability and why were they not able to stop eating the harmful foods which they have known about, right? Most people who get heart disease, they have plenty of warnings that they don't heed. So that might be part of the psychological and social parts of the biopsychosocial paradigm. Anyway, this is where we're at right now. This is the paradigm that is being implemented now as the new norm, the new health paradigm. And this is what I would say I don't agree with based on the fact that they can't explain complex and extremely debilitating chronic conditions. I'm talking about fibromyalgia, I'm talking about myalgic encephalitis, I'm talking about autoimmune diseases, I'm talking about chronic pain, which in this biopsychosocial paradigm are all untreatable. The biomedical paradigm can to some extent treat the symptoms of autoimmune disease, but it can't cure it. Like once you are autoimmune, you are autoimmune. Like your immune system is sort of reprogrammed to attack your body's own cells. And there are very many serious diseases that are autoimmune, which I've talked about before, having two of these myself. And I think part of the problem with how the doctors and the medical scientists can disregard these chronic conditions, like let's focus on, for example, myalgic encephalitis, fibromyalgia, these are good examples. I think the reason why the doctors forget about those patients and underestimate the burden that those diseases are having on society, at least how the politicians are able to underestimate the burden that these diseases are having on our societies, is because we don't see them. The people who get these diseases, uh, when they get like really sick, not just a little, but when they get really sick, they are literally missing. Check the hashtag millions missing to see a little bit, just a tiny bit of what's actually happening behind the scenes of these diagnoses. Because when you get one of these diagnoses, you don't get access to medical treatment because the medical community has decided largely, like the prevailing medical theory or whatever, has decided that these diseases do not really exist. They are not actual diseases. I think they call them syndromes or I'm not quite sure what they call them, but they don't even call them diseases because they won't accept that they actually exist. And in this picture, I think long COVID represents the red pill. I mean, once you take in the reality of what the pandemic, the COVID pandemic has done to global health, there is no going back. I see a lot of people in all parts of society all over the world are going through this period in our collective consciousness or in our collective history 
they're going through this period with skyloppet. Oh, what's that called in English? It's like these glasses that let you only see a tiny part of reality. We put them on horses to tell the horses where to go. I think people have skyloppet now. <laughs> they have blind spots, right? And long COVID is a huge blind spot because for almost a century, or I don't know how long really, the medical community has gaslit everyone who gets myalgic encephalitis, this debilitating condition with extreme fatigue, post-external malaise, lots of other painful symptoms. They have gaslit all of those people saying the disease does not exist. It's all in your head. What you're saying is not real. Your symptoms are not real. We don't believe you. Won't treat you. Just go home, stay home. And these people disappear from our societies. They disappear. They are missing. They're lying in dark rooms alone, abandoned by the medical community, abandoned by society. And they are even ashamed for being abandoned because people in the biopsychosocial paradigm are saying it's all in your head. So people with ME have been gaslit. And then along comes long COVID. And it's very, very hard now to gaslight everyone with long COVID because the fear mongering, I'm, I'm going to call it that, that came along with the pathogen, the virus, SARS-CoV-2. I live in Europe, right? We saw the pictures from Italy, which is where it hit first in Europe that, you know, the, the hospitals being overrun and the death in the newspapers in northern Italy when COVID exploded there back in, was it March 2020? And the death, what do they call the notifications in the newspapers were just like pages and pages and pages. Like we couldn't, we couldn't pretend that wasn't happening. And many societies understood what was going to happen here. It's like, this is going to explode, overburden our healthcare systems and basically shut down everything like people are going to die and it's going to make society collapse in a way or at least like civilization for a while and we don't know if we can recover from that right if all essential services stop working we can't recover from that and this has been of course on any government's doomsday planning forever i mean we have known that it's quite likely that a new pandemic will hit and there have been pandemics that have started where like ebola and also sars covid 1 like the first SARS, or not first, well, one SARS virus that they actually managed to stop. What's interesting about SARS-CoV-2, I mean, it was named after SARS-CoV-2 was named because it was so resembling SARS-CoV-1. I don't remember when that erupted. But we know that people who survived SARS-CoV-1 had brain damage. So right from the beginning, when they named this virus, they knew that it really, really resembled SARS-CoV-1, which was more a neurological condition or a disease than a respiratory illness. COVID turns out, you know, now we have lots of data. We didn't back in 2020. Back in 2020, we relied on earlier data and basically trying to minimize the damage. But all the way back then, they knew that COVID would hurt people's brains. It's a neurological disease. So there are so many examples of this now, and there are so many stories of this, and there's a huge movement online of patients from all countries and professions and backgrounds and all ages trying to explain what has happened to them after getting COVID, and it's called long COVID, hashtag long COVID, and funny thing, it's very, very similar to hashtag millions missing, hashtag myalgic encephalitis, hashtag no end in sight. Uh, nays void, no end in sight void. 
where people get stuck when they get diagnoses or conditions that the medical community don't believe are real. So a good friend of mine, she got COVID several times. We have kids in school. When they opened up here in Norway after closing down a lot for a long time, everybody got COVID and we got it several times. I had COVID three times last year and I was lucky. I think I'm completely well. I got completely well. I was super fatigued for a while, but it passed away. It's gone. And then one of my close friends, she didn't get well. She got something called neuropathy, neuropathy, polyneuropathy. Oh, it's such a difficult word. Thin fiber polyneuropathy. Yeah. It's this condition that they don't know how it works, but it affects all the small fiber nerve uh, nerve fibers in the body, making it feel like they are on fire. So basically, my friend, her whole body feels like it's on fire after she recovered from COVID. And the condition actually got worse when she got, I think, like one of the vaccines. It like really increased the symptoms. So that's how she could understand the connection. Of course, the doctors won't believe that. And they wouldn't accept it even if they did believe it because you can't say anything now criticizing the vaccines. And I understand that because the vaccines definitely help our society function and they have made sure that not so many people die. But still, there are risks. Like saying there are no risks with any kind of medical treatment. Yeah. I'm not going to get into the whole vaccine thing because I am a firm believer in vaccines and I love, you know, public health systems based on actually <laughs> governmentally sponsored vaccine programs. That's what has meant that we have such low child mortality and great life expectancy and well-functioning societies today in the Western world, at least. And that's definitely the standard in most of the world now. Vaccines not only save lives, they enable us to have well-functioning societies and communities. But I'm not going from there to believing in vaccines to believing that this exact vaccine was perfect from the start and is always going to be perfect, I'm not going to take that jump. That's not a direction I'm willing to follow because all medical treatment has risks and somebody is going to get the bill for those risks. And right now, the people getting the bill for us letting the coronavirus spread all over the globe in order to keep financial stability and societal functions operating Basically, to save the world economy, we let the pathogen loose. And the people getting the bill for that are people like my friend Onikin, who is now barely surviving while her body is constantly on fire and the doctors tell her there's nothing they can do. So she's a smart woman and she has a family. I mean, she has a business. She runs her own business. She's super successful at what she does. But her life now really hangs in the balance while the doctors are trying to find out how they can try to switch off this extreme debilitating pain that she's in constantly. So this is a chronic condition, right? It's chronic and incurable. They also say it's, what is it, like progressive, like it gets worse. So of course, for her to get this diagnosis following COVID, even though they don't say there's a connection, it's basically a life sentence or even a death sentence. It's, she says, I can't survive with this pain. Like it's not possible to live with this extreme amount of pain all the time like there is no way so she's holding on for dear life and for her children now she doesn't want to die from her children so she's holding on but she's just one out of millions who got different kinds of long-term consequences from letting this pandemic spread and now i believe in a quantum reality we're more like an ecosystem context switch here so a little bit of a context switch 
trying to help you join <laughs> my thoughts as leap around here from thought to thought. Human beings, we're not individual machines who are separate from our environments. I believe, and I think there's quite good evidence for that too, that we are more like an ecosystem who are coexisting with each other in communities and coexisting with the environment, our natural envi environment, like breathing the air and drinking the water and everything. We're part of the ecosystem of this planet. And now if we jump another step ahead and take another quantum leap, in quantum reality, everything is connected. Everything is connected. So right now, when we are stuck in the Newtonian mechanistic biomedical paradigm, we sicken individually and we try to dissect the human body to understand what part of the body was sickened first to try to Botox it or whatever, like... I think that's what they do with a lot of pain patients now. They inject neurotoxins into their body to switch off those nerves. That's some of the best treatment they can give. Or they lower it with oxycotin or whatever, like really heavy drugs. And that is unsustainable. Unsustainable health. Unsustainable medical treatment. We can't do it that way. Now, post-COVID, when so many people are getting sick... So many people are unable to work. So many people are missing. Like if you have a friend who got COVID and then gradually stopped staying in touch, maybe you should check up on them. How are they doing, really? Are they still suffering ill health? Maybe there's no explanation. But if they are limiting their lives by going out less and less and less and staying home less more and more and more and they're able to do less and less, like ask them, how are you doing really? How are you feeling? How are you doing really? I think in order to move past this way of thinking about individual health, we have to start thinking that taking a quantum perspective, we heal collectively. We can't heal individual by individual. We have to heal collectively because we are an ecosystem. So that's the way I've changed my health and changed my body from being completely disabled to being fully functional and happy and healthy. And using this theory, I've been able to also actually change the health of my children by working on my own physiology and my connection to my children. It's really, really amazing what we've been able to do. And I'll share more about that in a coming episode where I'm going to be talking about neurodiversity, autistic children specifically. But back to the quantum health paradigm that I'm working on introducing, I see the human body as having four distinct energy bodies or frequencies where our mental, intellectual body, our physical body, our emotional body, and our spiritual or consciousness bodies, they are four distinct, in a way, like energy layers. And each of them has a frequency which has a wavelength, basically, in whatever quantum realm, if that's what you call it. So these energy bodies, they have a frequency. And when those frequencies are in dissonance with each other, I believe that causes ill health. This is just my theory, people. It's crazy. I know. You can totally disregard it if you want. This is my theory. In quantum health, we have perfect health when we have perfect vibrational harmony between our four energy bodies or the four aspects of our being. And in this, as you may have heard, I think we have four distinct energy bodies. 
where the only one that is not covered by the now incoming biopsychosocial paradigm is the soul. We have a soul, and the soul is also part of our physical health. So this might have been enough information for one episode. I understand if it's getting complex. Well, I believe that chronic illness is a manifestation of, let's see, a disturbance of the force, basically. <laughs> if we call the quantum field a force field, an energetic field that we're all part of as some ecosystem, then chronic illness can be identified and stopped, or any kind of illness can be identified and stopped at an early stage if we only learn to interpret the early symptoms. Because any kind of manifestation of this disharmony, like the first symptoms will happen outside your body before they happen inside your body. Because in an energetic understanding, we are not limited by the basically our skin, like our electromagnetic field goes outside our bodies. Oh yeah, I know you're thinking auras and woo-woo right now. Those are just concepts. Those are just words used to try to explain this reality that we are more than our physical bodies. So I invite you to try to set aside your preconceived presumptions and judgments that we all have all the time and is part of how we navigate reality to have preconceived judgment. But if you manage to set those aside for a time and try to listen to your own body and brain and see, are you just a walking meat stick with a brain or are you something more? Do you have a consciousness? And if you have a consciousness, are you connected in some way to a larger consciousness? Do you believe in God? What is God? What is consciousness? All of these questions I think we need to get into in order to solve the problems that are facing us when it comes to public health. Now, I talked about how perfect health would be balancing and getting some perfect vibrational harmony between these four different aspects of our bodies in the quantum realm, wavelengths, right? Harmony. Well, what is enlightenment? And enlightenment is important here too, because now I'm starting to talk about consciousness and God, and enlightenment is a term we use to understand when you achieve some contact with this greater consciousness. Well, I think that will have to be another episode, because <laughs> I'm already quite far out in field, and my podcast producer has to try to make this into a functional episode, and I'm actually going shopping with my mom today, so I'm gonna stop this episode. Well, I'll just end off with talking about how I see people who don't have chronic illnesses, they're playing life on easy mode. So the biotypical people, some people call them, actually, this really cool TikToker I follow, Jeremy Andrew Davies, he doesn't use the term biotypical, he uses the term bioprivileged, because if you have a body that is not autoimmune, causing you lots of pain, whatever, and maybe even you have a neurotypical brain, like you're not autistic or ADD or all of these wonderful conditions that the prevailing medical system doesn't really explain. Well, you're playing life on easy mode. You're bioprivileged. And for the rest of us, we actually have to try to understand what's wrong with our bodies when we get all this pain and all this illness. And you biotypical people walk around thinking that we don't exist because you don't see us. 
because we are literally missing from society, because we have health that doesn't allow us to participate fully in society. That will be an episode on disability and ableism, but I don't think I'll join that discussion today. So people, we sicken individually, like the symptoms in quantum health, they appear individually in each of us. But I think we have to start thinking that we heal collectively. And just like a virus spreads with this R reproduction number, like how many people are infected by a virus from one infected, I think I saw the difference in these beautiful curves they made when COVID was spreading. When R goes somewhere between two and three, it's just the virus just explodes and society is going to have a hard time functioning. Well, I invite you to take part in a viral healing collectively by spreading this episode of this podcast. If you found this podcast episode illuminating, helping you to understand something new when it comes to chronic illness and health, I invite you to spread it to three people or on three channels, because then we can have a reproductive rate of three, and that will spread really, really fast. Because if we get this way of thinking, like established into the collective consciousness, I think we'll be able to reach a new understanding of health that will open the doors for new treatments and new public health policies that will basically enable more people all over the world to have good health. Not just the rich and privileged, but everyone should be given the chance to have good health. Okay, people, my fellow human beings, thank you. If you managed to follow along this episode, I applaud your concentration and focus because I realize I've been a little bit all over the place, but I hope it was interesting and I'll see you in the next episode next week. Bye!